Dotnet Rocks episode 643 with guests Mark Miller and Seth Juarez. Recorded live Tuesday, February 22nd, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Richard. Howdy, sir. A Houston construction boss was interviewing men for a job when along came a Louisiana Cajun. Ooh. You got to pass my test first, he told the applicant. Here's your first question. Without using numbers, represent the number nine. Without numbers, Cajun says, that's easy. And proceeds to draw three trees. Well, it's this, the foreman asks. Well, tree and tree and tree make nine, nice. says the Cajun. <laughs> Fair enough, replies the foreman. Here's your second question. Use the same rules, but this time the number is nine and nine. Cajun stares into space for a while and picks up the picture of the three trees and makes a smudge on each tree. There you go. The boss scratches his head and says, how on earth do you get that to represent 99? Well, see, each of the trees is dirty now. So dirty tree and dirty tree and dirty tree, that's 99. <laughs> All right, last question. Same rules again, but represent the number 100. Cajun stares into space again. And he picks up the picture again, makes a little mark at the base of each tree and says, There you go, 100. Foreman looks at the attempt. How in the world does this represent a hundred? <laughs> the Cajun leans forward and points to the marks at the tree bases and says, A little dog come along crap by each tree. So now you got dirty tree and a turd, dirty tree and a turd, and dirty tree and a turd, and that make one hundred. <laughs> so when do I start work? <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant that's a math joke for you there you go hey let's get into uh, better know framework all righty what better show to have a joke on than this one <laughs> all right so let's say you got your silver light application and uh you want to know when it closes there you would think that there is a uh you know, a f- main window form closing event or something like that. But there is, but you've got to get the event on the current main window. And, and it's not it's not the the default window that you think it is. You have to go to application.current.mainwindow and uh, handle the closed event right. or the closing event on that. And there's a good example of this if you search the MSDN documentation for window.closing. And, of course, there's good sample code in there. And there's also another cool thing that shows you how to use isolated storage settings to uh, to get and save settings. Cool. I mean, you know, if you're not – what I do is I make, uh, uh, you know, for settings that I don't care about being secret, right. you know, just like stuff that's going to – you know, positions and things like that. I just make a little file that's an XML file and I use link to XML to write to it in the documents folder. 
But, um, you know, if you want to be really cool, you could use isolated storage. So there's some good examples right there for you. Nice. So who's talking to us, Richard? I got an email here from Martin Doms. Okay. He says, hey, guys, just listen to episode 632 with Doc Norton on sharpening your skills as a developer. I am just a couple of months out of university and working at my first real job, so it's always exciting to see topics like this pop up in my podcast feeds. While I was applying for jobs towards the end of my time at university, I always imagined that at my first job, I would have access to great programmers and a mentor to help me make the transitions from apprentice to competent, using Dot Norton's terms. However, I have found myself in a small IT consulting firm trying to break into development with some promising software-as-a-service ideas. Unfortunately, due to the size of the development, quote-unquote, team, three, including myself, the number of projects on the go, I found myself working almost entirely alone. Hmm. I'm given the space and resources to self-teach all of the technologies we are using, but without access to great developers around me, and in particular a mentor to guide me, I worry I could be stuck in the apprentice stage for much longer than necessary. Mm-hmm. Code katas are certainly an interesting idea, and I'm looking into them after listening to your show, I also really like the idea of code camps and give camps, but I can't find any resources for things like that in my area, which is New Zealand. Well, hey. It would be awesome to hear the DNR guys give some feedback on my situation and what I can do to progress as a developer in this kind of situation. I'm sure I'm not the only DNR listener who has found themselves working in isolation and worrying about their prospects. Keep up the great work, Martin Doms. Well, first thing I can tell you, Martin, is there is a tech ed every year at in New Zealand in Auckland and mm-hmm. uh, we're probably going to be there this year. We were there last year, so with any luck things are going to work out that way. I have not seen Give Camps down down there at all. It's, so far Give Camps have been largely a North American phenomenon, but uh with any luck they'll be spreading. Well, Martin, I got an idea for you. Start one. There you go. You could set one up, you know, go to givecamp.org. Everything you need to know is there. Yeah. And there is a site specifically about code camps in New Zealand, and it's at www.codecamp.co.nz. All right. There are resources out there, my friend. Keep looking. The web is your friend, and uh, we're glad you're listening. And now we're going to send a mug down to New Zealand. Let's hope it gets there. And if you'd like a mug, you can leave a comment on our shiny new website, because we do comments these days, and Facebook, and Twitter, and all that goodness, or fire us an email on eroxandfranklins.net. And just before we get started with uh, Mark and Seth here, I want to bring your attention to the latest DNR TVs. Paul Sheriff did a DNR TV on Windows Phone 7 development where he even showed off his tools, which are really freaking amazing. Um, Some of the stuff he's written is just great. Also, uh, Beth Massey did a show on Visual Studio Light Switch Beta 1. So uh, if you want to see Light Switch in action, there you go. It was a good, good conversation, too. Awesome dnrtv.com like dnr but visual there you go right it is my extreme pleasure to introduce two good friends of mine and richards to the show here mr mark miller chief scientist at developer express hi mark hi richard i mean carl i mean (laughs) he's a good friend and seth juarez who has a real bio seth has a master's degree in computer science and is also currently pursuing a phd in the same His field of research is in artificial intelligence, specifically in the realm of machine learning. He's a technical evangelist for Developer Express, where he specializes in data analysis in conjunction with their reporting tool set. 
When he's not working in that area, he devotes his time to an open-source machine learning library specifically for .NET that is intended to simplify the use of popular supervised and unsupervised learning models. How can you simplify the use of something we don't even understand what it is? Well, uh, I'll tell you, there are ways to make it simpler. And to go off what Miller said already, thanks, Tom, for that very nice introduction. I mean, John, (laughs) Paul, (laughs) Jim, dang it. Yeah. You know, I like it when we save these sorts of shows for the end of the day. <laughs> it's going to be that kind of show, isn't it? It's going to be that kind of show. I really should have some bourbon here. Yeah, no, it is. It's definitely going to be that kind of show. And, and listeners, if you don't have bourbon yet, you're going to need to get that now. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, I don't drink, Miller. What should I take? Um, bourbon. Oh, jeez. Yeah, neither Seth and I drink. We're, like, uh, just focused on writing the code right now. So... What the hell right, are we talking great to about? Be here. Well, I figured we get a really smart guy and Mark Miller, and we just, you know. What? <laughs> hey, you know, can I complain for a second? I was at Richard's house over the weekend, and at some point, like, uh, I think I tell a joke and nobody laughs, and then Karen tells my joke, the one I just told, and everybody laughs. And, and I'm like, what's up with that? And Richard says, well, well, clearly one of you is funny. It's because she's got boobies. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I hey, like, you know. Give me a couple of years, I will, I will have this, boobies so. as well. Oh, I, had the, I had the best pancakes of my life at Richard's house. <laughs> All right. Did he grill them? It's got nothing his, to do with his, me, his man. Wife, this Stacey, is... prepared them, and they were so good. She, like, you know, puts in lots of butter, lots of eggs, doubles up on the eggs, and they were amazing. A little bit of cinnamon and uh, vanilla, and oh, my gosh. Welcome to the Dotnet Rocks Cooking Hour. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I will tell you, Miller only eats McDonald's. I was eating a carrot the other day, and I think his brain seg-faulted. It was really <laughs> crazy. I've seen carrots before, Seth. Don't, don't mock me. I've seen uh, a carrot. I Seth, are you doing like. machine learning at Developer Express, or is it just your reptile, crazy, smart brain that they're, they're trying to suck dry? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say I'm as smart as other people. Uh, but I will say that they're very kind in letting me work on this stuff because people love to hear these talks. Not because I'm interesting, but because it, the stuff is just so stinking interesting. After all, Watson just beat like two super geniuses, what, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. I, th- I think spanked him is a better description. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. And, and like- Ken Jennings, he needed to be spanked. I mean, <laughs> everyone in the collective world is thinking, it's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Now, you guys are here because... I'm sorry, Carl. I was just going to say there are real, actual, real, uh, real uses, real applications for machine learning, um, especially in Code Rush, for example, where where we're often trying to to guess through heuristics, uh, for example, what you want to name an extracted method, for example, uh, yeah. and and machine learning can actually come in uh, pretty handy there with regards to watching what you've done in the past, getting a sense of 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 what the determining factors from the code are that determine the name you're likely to pick. So, so there are real applications for machine learning in what we do, and it and it pretty much is all in the area of of usability, making products uh, easier to use, and the heuristics smarter. Now we're here because you guys have done some insane stuff with Connect, Microsoft is, Connect. That is kind of correct. Yeah, it's a little bit on the edge. All right, what so we're doing. Tell us briefly what's going on here. Well, we are creating an interface to Visual Studio itself to allow you to write code and control Visual Studio using uh, just your hand standing in front of a, uh, a Kinect that's hooked up to the computer. All right, now that's very cool, but can you actually be productive with this? 
Um, right now, you really can't be productive at this stage. Yeah. But the but the goal is is to is to make it so that you can be productive. We're still in kind of a rough stage where yeah. we are uh, where we are uh, kind of tuning things, getting making sure we have more signal, less noise, things like that. But um, yeah. uh, I, the the goal is is for us to be a do to do a demo where we're actually writing code. Uh, about as fast as somebody would do with a mouse and a keyboard, and in, and in some areas much faster because we'll be uh, exploiting some of the tools that are in Code Rush as well right. for doing refactorings and things like now, that. Now, do you find that it's difficult to control Connect when you're so close to the PC, so close to the yep. camera? Yeah, well, the answer is yes. You can't. You 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 can't. This is not a sitting down demo at this point. This is a standing up uh, demo where you're writing code standing up. Okay. So usually like a big screen TV kind of thing. Uh, right. And in fact, for, for when we show this, it'll be at conferences. So we'll have, we'll have like a big screen set up mm. and, uh, you know, a space for people to stand in to, to give it a try. So what kinds of things, do you, what kinds of gestures do you recognize and what does it typically look like? Well, right now, our recognition is not, is not nailed yet. So we don't have recognition. That's actually where the machine learning part is going to come in. We're, I, I expect we're about a week away from that at most to have the, the real recognition. But, but there are two parts to controlling it. One of them is recognition, and the other one is simply uh, specific uh, interfaces uh, that are controlled by, by the hand motion. So while we don't have particular gestures yet recognized, we, do, or we are able to tell where the hands are and where the fingers are. And so okay. the work that Seth and I have done up to this point is basically determining where are the palms and, and, and the fingers in 3D space. And that's really the stuff that the Xbox part of uh, the Connect does that you don't get with the raw data, right? Kind of. What Xbox gives you is it gives you a skeleton, but the skeleton ends at the palm. It doesn't give you fingers. So even if we had you know, everything that they give you in the, in the Xbox, we still would not be able to tell you finger position. Oh. And I think the reason for that has to do with the resolution of the, of the image that comes back. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Richard and I were talking about this over the weekend, and Richard told me that he heard that the resolution of the camera is actually much higher than 640 by 480, hmm. but they dumbed it down because of the processor time in hmm. the Xbox 360, which I believe. I yeah. totally believe that because you're, 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 you're processing a 640 by 480 image multiple times a second. You're, you're trying to get a sense of what the shapes are inside of that, and you do that enough, and that starts slowing things down. Now, to, for those who haven't heard any of the stuff about Connect and how it works... Let's give a brief description about how what what's going on in that connect thing. What is it actually doing? Sure, Seth, you want to you, you want to take a turn on this? I don't want to like yeah. There was a there was a a driver that I used before that kind of hosed my machine, so we didn't do that anymore. There is a driver. I'm not the driver, but there was an API over the driver that kind of hosed my machine, so I stopped using that. There is a driver called CLNUI that has three aspects to the connect. The connect has a camera. Uh, it has a motor, and then it also has an audio piece, which hasn't been implemented as far as I understand. Okay. So what the, what the Kinect does is it shoots out a series of lasers, right? And those lasers then bounce back into one of the cameras. And so what happens is we get this really cool image that shows how far away things are with respect to the camera, and it does it by shading each of the objects a certain color. Now, are they really lasers or are they infrared dots? So I, I don't know what they are. It's something I want to say lasers because then That's it takes cool. me back to my Star Wars years, right. you know. And I just think lasers are 
cool. It's yeah. just something. I'm not quite sure exactly what it is, but it shoots out sort of this, this pattern of, of beams. And if you go online and you look, there's some people that have done some really interesting sort of pictures where, where you can see these infrared things happening. Right. The thing is, because of the pattern, you can't put two connects next to each other and expect them, them to work because they're going to shoot, create this overlapping pattern. That, right. that, that will confuse each So really you need, to have, you need to have one infrared light source that sends out these little dots and then two cameras. That's really what you need. That is what's going on. Well, actually, it already has that. It has a camera to get the actual video, and then it has a camera to get these infrared signals back. Well, so I, mean, I mean a left and a right camera to get the infrared signals if you really want to do stereo, which I think is what Mark is talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, I, now I was really talking about, I mean, right now, the Kinect gives you depth from one perspective. Right. But it would be interesting to have multiple Kinects in the room to get a, um, a deeper perspective, to see behind the images, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's challenging to do. Is, is, that's all I was getting to, is it was just challenging to do, and, and because of that, the reason why is because of the, 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 the pattern that comes out from this, the, um, and, the, and, the, and the mechanism it uses to detect depth. But so... This is, this is really cool stuff, and, yeah. and you know the, the, what the Connect can do, and I and and I and and maybe I could put a plant a seed for talking about this a little later in the in the show. But but you vector this out, Carl, in terms of you know integrating this kind of technology into into the way we we interact with the the technical world right now, and and you get some pretty amazing things that are possible, some some smart things that are possible. But we can talk about that. Maybe we can talk about that later. And, and, uh, you could talk about it now. Uh, well, we're all interested we, now. Okay. Now look what you did. Sheesh, Mark. But don't, but don't you want to have people coming back after the commercial? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, well, let's talk about it later. Because to me, it's an exciting thing to talk about the future stuff. Let's talk about that. Let's wrap up with that. Okay. So, Seth, did your machine learning background uh, go to use when you guys developed this? tool yes uh, here's the here's the challenge so uh mark miller is like the old school guy where he thinks like machine learning won't work i don't think he said it that way i know it will work <laughs> the problem is is that it's almost always easier to find some heuristics to get you up and running fast and so right now we're using a lot of heuristics in computational geometry to find shapes and actually map those shapes onto for example hands Okay, uh, But the thing in the future, what I want to do is I want to take sort of these heuristics and then map them into a learning problem. Because, then, because right now, what our problem is we, we're doing some clipping in order to get the, the right shapes on the screen. Once we have these shapes, we need to make a decision regarding, well, which shape is a hand? Which shape is the left hand? Which shape is the, is the right hand? Yeah. And sometimes when, when you stand a certain way and you clip out a certain background distance, sometimes... And my wife will will tell you that this is an important thing to realize. My belly shows up like right in the middle. It's really <laughs> odd because if as you move your hands back, notice that whatever protrusions you have in your body, all of a sudden that shape comes to life. And so the problem is now I want to use machine learning in order to to sort of solve the jitteriness problem, where I can say definitively, yeah, that shape right there is a hand, and I can use machine learning techniques to do that. Currently, right now, we're using a lot of heuristics based upon sort of eyeballing it. But I think one of the things that I've learned is that heuristics are good, and we do this as programmers all the time. 
But machine learning's job is to automatically learn what those heuristics are. And that's what I've been trying to explain to uh, Mr. Miller. He enjoys machine learning, but I think it's almost faster right now to do heuristics and then post facto do some smoothing using machine learning. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. And the word heuristic, for those who don't know, it comes from the Greek for to find or discover. It refers to experience-based techniques for problem-solving. I just like the idea that he eyeballed the heuristics. That makes me happy. <laughs> well, you know, I just want to explain, you know, what I've been trying to explain to Seth during this whole time about <laughs> machine learning and heuristics. The problem with machine learning is if you just throw it, a whole bunch of data at it, um, it's harder for machine learning to actually find that, that cutoff point between one group of data and another group of data that should be dis- distinct from one another. The, the advantage of... of applying heuristics at the beginning is to essentially reduce the amount of data that you're going to throw at machine learning, and that's essentially what we've been doing. Now, t- so, Seth, we've been talking about machine learning, of course, without really defining it. Can you give us an elevator speech on that? Absolutely. Machine learning, specifically the kind that we're going to be using in this particular context, is where you, you sort of set up a model to generalize a whole bunch of data. So, for example, uh, if you have uh, tons of data regarding Say you have a, a million examples of shapes, right? And these shapes uh, have all been sort of uh, gotten through the connect over time. What we can do is we can mark each shape as a hand or not a hand, right? And then we can feed that to a machine learning algorithm so that when it gets a new shape, it can distinguish between a hand and not a hand. That's called a binary classification. You can also, you can also bootstrap binary classification do something called multi-class classification where we want to learn, okay, is this a left hand? Is this a right hand, or is this Mark Miller's belly? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and so that, then yeah. you can learn a set of things. That's called multi-class okay. classification. And so you can, you can do that. And while Mark is correct that it takes a lot, you can, you can put a lot of data into it, these models are learned offline, right? So there's a, there's a kind of a, a phased approach to machine learning where you do the learning, that's one step, and then you take that little compact model, and then you do the prediction. And so that's where him and I differ on that. I'm, I'm saying well, that, you, sure, you could learn, you could look at heuristics and eyeball. And for example, there's a really good heuristics on finding fingers uh, that just works all the time. Or you could give it just a bunch of data and let it generalize it. And then when you feed it this bunch of data again, it can say, yeah, that looks like a hand. No, that doesn't look like a hand. Do you see what I'm saying? Seth, we just fed it the raw, the depth image data. That's a lot of data to go through to figure out where the hands are. A lot of training to 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 get it to get a sense of where those are. Um, you know, from my perspective, that's that's you know, it's it's just too much work to throw at the computer to do that. 
and probably a lot of noise, and, and, and there may not be an ability for, for, for the machine learning algorithms that we have today to actually figure those out. That's what they told Watson. Sounds like we have a crisis of faith here with Mr. Miller. I know. Did you see that? He's totally like burning down my church right so, now. So, <laughs> so Mark, you're, you're ta- I think you're taking a sort of a right-brained approach, the heuristic approach, whereas uh, whereas Seth is sort of more left-brained. It's a- amazing that you guys can compile anything in, in at all. Right. Well, you know, it, it kind of works like this. Seth says, oh, let's do machine learning right here. And then I say, no, it, we're going to give it a simpler problem instead of, instead of that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I totally want to do machine learning for the recognition of, 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 of motion and, and the hand signals and things like that. We have to do that. But, but from my perspective, uh, heuristics makes a lot of sense. And, and the reason it makes a lot of sense is because we're dealing with a lot of knowns. Um, for example, the size of the palm it, within the range that it's going to be in, the depth range, is going to be within a particular, within, within particular known values. We can find hands by that. I mean, based on, I mean, if you look at what we've got right now, we can show you, you know, you can hold your hands up in front, you can move your fingers around, right. and we can show you exactly where those are, and it's all essentially done with heuristics so far, because we know how big the fingers are, we know how big the palms are, that sort of thing. We're using these kinds of things to come in here and, and, and collect this information, this data. We know that, that the hand is going to be attached to the arm, not the head or the belly or something along those lines. Speaking of the belly problem, we're also going to probably do a lot of workout, I think, between now and the time we, we actually do this. He's, he's obviously right. Like, for example, here's a simple heuristic that no one would ever think of that we kind of found somewhere and, then, and sort of perfected. When we, when we look at our hands, we extract a shape, right, which is a path, a series of points that makes this polygon. And if you just were to extend your hand out and look at it and sort of draw straight lines, you would have this sort of like uh, triangles for top of the triangle for your fingers, right? Notice you would have a, a, a triangle pointing down for in between your fingers, right? That's always going to be the case. And so with the, the way we detect fingers is we look at the angle, right, in, in that path. And if the angle is less than 90 degrees, we are, we are in essence, uh, noticing a point that's important, right? If it's a left turn, right, coming from the from the right side of your hand, if it's a left turn, it's a finger. If it's a right turn, it's the bottom or inside of your finger. Notice that that heuristic is very clear and very powerful and always works. And so he's right in that regard. What I'm saying is that when there's those things that you, you need to tweak, like a number between, say, the width of the hand is a number between 100 pixels and 150 pixels, we can eyeball that and test it, or we can have the machine learn it. And, and that's the difference. If we can, obviously, Mark's right. If you can, if you can make the search base a lot smaller, your models will be a lot more compact. So Seth is saying you start with heuristics, and then to, to put a finer point on it, you go to machine learning. Yeah, yeah. we're both saying that. I think oh, we're okay. both absolutely saying You're that. You're in violent agreement. Yeah, it's really odd how we have this really funny relationship. Me and Miller get into, like, these arguments. What did we argue about the other day? Um, you're talking about the uh, solution for uh, the halting problem, is that right? Oh, jeez. So Miller, I, I was telling Miller the other day, it was a month ago or so, I don't know. I was saying, hey, Mark, I can tell you a problem you can't solve. And he's like, oh, no, you can't. I think he said <laughs> it just like that. Oh, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can. The halting problem. And Miller, I kid you not, for all of your listeners said, I can solve that problem. Yeah, it's solved already, actually. <laughs> I solved it yesterday. <laughs> Just Google Miller's like, problem, mm. and you'll find it. 
Yeah, ultimately, I, I come up with it's irrelevant because all of the uh, all of the machines that you would be running the software on. The, the question on the halting problem, just so you know, is is can you write a program that can detect if another program is going to stop or not? Is that essentially correct, Seth? Yes. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to write another program that says, yes, the program will stop. And so eventually all programs will stop when the sun goes supernova, and the question is solved, and so we're done with that one. Thank <laughs> There was. And so we get into these discussions, especially during, during writing this stuff for the Connect. I've learned a lot about, for example, uh, heuristics, and one of the things that I like the most is, with Mark is that he looks at a problem and he doesn't think it can't be done. He thinks, let me get started. Right. And so that, that's something I've really sort of enjoyed recently because there's a couple of things that I'd like to see us have, you know, as a company. And I just say, oh, let me try it. And then I, I do a spike and I write it and it works. And then I do another one and, I, and it works. And, and that's the kind of spirit you need to have when, you, when you're confronted with these sort of, quote, insurmountable problems. For example, right now we're looking at pictures and trying to control Visual Studio. That, that's a seriously complex problem, right. but if you attack it with sort of that, hey, we can solve it, then you really can get pretty much anything done, so which I think is really cool. Doesn't the Xbox look at um, patterns in uh, sort of JPEG form or, or raster form that it has yep. loaded up to compare gestures to? Is that how, is that how the Xbox does the uh, pattern recognition? Um, no, no, I think it does. I think it uses some techniques similar to what Seth and I have done so far, um, heuristics, to essentially give you a skeleton. And so, and so programs that are using the Kinect have a skeleton that comes back. So how, do they, yeah. how does it recognize a gesture, though? Um, I don't think they actually have I haven't seen anything that recognizes gesture. Um, it's just positioning that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, and and, and with, with regards to recognizing a, a gesture, I think that's probably all in the software itself. I don't think well, the that's what I'm asking. Kind of I, I, I was listening to a show on NPR with some guys from Microsoft about the Connect, and and that was what they said, I believe. And don't you know? Uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Look it up. But uh, I believe I, I I heard them say that there's just tons of of those black and white dot graph graph images in memory, and it just cycles through them looking for um, you know looking for matches. To, to recognize patterns. So if they did that, it would probably be very slow. I know they use something that's called, for example, posterior probabilities, which is uh, given a particular point, uh, what's the probability that this is a hand? Yeah. They, they do some of that stuff from what I understand. But a, an even simpler approach is, is this. Imagine if you could totally clip the background out of a scene and just have a human person just standing there, right? right. With their hands sort of like in this A shape, yeah. right? If you were to take a histogram at the bottom, right, and, and just sort of look at the pixel count of, of, of you, what are the white pixels just going straight up and down? You would have like this sort of U, upside down U shape going down the bottom X, right? Mm. Then you would have the same kind of thing going down uh, on the side Y. Once you have those histograms, you can interpolate sort of the center, right? And then you can start to create this skeleton that lives directly inside of, of the person. So just looking at those kinds of things, pixel counts in the X direction, mm. pixel counts in the Y direction, you're starting to get a sense of this sort of rigid body. One of the things Mark set up that's similar to that is when he looks at these pictures, he's able to draw a polygon around them, and we, we're also able to smooth them. 
So now, not only can you get a skeleton, because now which, once you have this polygon around a body, you can sort of look at the center or the average inside of it and get a skeleton. Uh, so, so that would be a lot faster to do rather than sifting, say, for example, through 100 pictures. Because uh, remember, we're getting these things at 30, 30, uh, 30 frames a second. So every 30th of a second, we need to do a, com- a computation that is essential mm. and nothing more. Because if we do more, then you're going to notice the lag. And that's when it starts to get frustrating. Yeah, yeah I think when they say they're matching pictures, I have a feeling their version of pictures is essentially just uh, data, data representing the skeleton position. That's my sense is probably what they're looking at matching. Okay. Yeah. So we do, we do some similar things. Like, for example, when you want to scroll the screen, we have a move where you put your hand out flat in front of you, and then you move it up or down, and, then, and it actually scrolls the screen just like, uh, like, on, like on an iPhone if you're going to use your hand and swipe it across it, right, for that, for example. And, uh, and, and in, in that case, we have a sense of where the hand is, where its center palm is, and then as you, as you move it, we have a sense of that motion as well, right, where you're going and then what velocity that translates into in terms of scrolling the document. What about doing stuff like dragging and dropping controls onto a form, that sort of thing? Yeah, that is actually, uh, it's, it's, I don't know if we'll have time to implement that or not, but that's kind of fun and exciting because it's, it's super, it's, it's the easy visual part of, uh, of, of interfacing with the Connect, right? It, in fact, if you look at every single Connect demo where they've got some screen going on at the same time, well, they, they basically fall into two camps. They fall into one controlling video games, and then the second one is, let's move some pictures on the screen. And it's like, oh, my God, I get so bored every time I see one of these picture-moving demos because they're kind of slow, and, and, uh, and, and, and nobody really browses through pictures on a screen in this manner, right? It's only simply to demonstrate that you can do it and you know, spin and rotate your picture, things like that. Right. But putting, dropping controls on a form and resizing them, that can be pretty fast, or that could be fast, right? Click, you know, click, uh, I'm saying click, but move your hand over touch a control, come back over and, and, and position and size it. That could potentially be very fast. So if Seth and I have time, that's one of the things we'll do. But right now we're focused on the, the coding aspects. So you've got navigation, selection, uh, writing code, and refactoring. Those are what we're really focused on right now. And think about it. He said writing code with your hands. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's, I think uh, that's one of the most surprising things. That's the thing we started with first because it seems to be the hardest and we have some tremendous visualizations that have never been seen in this regard. So uh, how do you type in the air is the question. And I think we've come up with a solution that will not only be useful, but might even be practical once we add machine learning. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I see a theme in Seth's commentary. I'm just saying. So um, uh, Mr. Kipman, who uh, was uh, interviewed on uh, Science Friday... NPR Science Friday, how the Xbox Connect tracks your moves, um, says, uh, for the human tracking part, it's a series of sophisticated algorithms that will range in nature from computer vision to machine learning to image science to a series of uh, other ones. The key innovation is in the machine learning and the way that you can think about that working. It works similarly to the human brain. In other yeah, words... It sounds like a marketing guy. Yeah, do totally. Like, do you like that? Totally, and I remember listening to this, and Ira was like, yeah, but how does it work? And the guy's like, it's totally innovative. And he says, yeah, but how does it work? <laughs> no. He's like, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I don't think, uh, like the games that I've played, now, who, who has a Connect? I have one at yeah, home. Yeah, I have two of them. 
the games are fairly simple. Yes. And they're very obtuse, right? Mm. In the sense that you, you move to the left or you move to the right or you duck, and that's about it, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and so if you think about it, of course that's going to work. We could, we could probably do that right now in our sleep uh, because the stuff that we're working on now is we're trying to recognize a hand and an extended finger, right? Yeah. Because we want you to be able to click something. You know, move your finger up and down, right? That's completely different than, say, moving a huge, rigid body that takes up the entire screen. Right, we have to dynamically clip out the background because if you move your hand back, right, we only want to look at shapes that are interesting depending on a hue. So here's a, a little explanation that, that's pretty interesting regarding uh, the depth. The way the depth image works is, if I remember right, Mark, you correct me, is that the, the, closest, the closest thing to the camera that it will perceive has a hue of 100, Right, and no, as you move not, away, one, it goes one seventy. I think is one seventy. And as you move away, it goes to zero. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. As you move away, it goes to zero. And if you get any closer than one seventy, the hue stays the same, but then the brightness uh, changes. On the this is on the the the, the depth image that you get mm. back from the connect. Yeah, that's so right. think about it. As we move our hand backward and forward, right, we want to clip out all of the shapes because what we're doing is, is uh, Mark is drawing a polygon around every shape that we can find, right? Yeah. Uh, as you move your hand back, we also need to have the camera say, okay, I need to adjust my vision to also include things that are behind. So we're doing a, sort of a dynamic clipping as, as the hand goes back. This, this is a lot more complicated than looking at Oh, wow. If you look at the histogram in the X direction, looks like the upside-down parabola is now to the left, right? That's, that's easy. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's really easy. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when my upside-down parabola hangs to the left, as you know. Yeah, and I mean, the doctor told me that you need to have that looked at. Uh, yeah. but, uh, besides, but think about it, it's just a U, right? Because it's the number of pixels going up in the Y direction. As you count them, that's the height of the histogram, right? And as the height sort of moves, the, the larger height moves to the left, notice that your, your sort of U, upside-down U shape is moving to the left. You've just detected movement to the left, and all you've done is count pixels. Right. That, that's not hard. I, I mean, I, I have yet to see a game, and, I, and I've seen some demos of some games that do semi-more interesting things, but if you look at the way the Xbox works, when it follows your hand, it has this sort of cheesy Mickey Mouse hand, right? Yeah. They're not detecting fingers. We have to if you're going to type. Right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at InRule. Hey, Coding Ninja. What if your business users could update their own decision logic, but you still had control over how it's used? With InRule, the only business rule technology built for .NET, you can reduce hard coding and change requests. InRule is extensible and customizable. Developers get a rich SDK and an extensible framework. Business users get integration with Word and a Microsoft Office-like UI. Visit InRule.com for a free trial download and see for yourself why another coding ninja calls InRule the best investment in software we've ever made. Check out InRule Technologies link on our website at .netrocks.com. Yeah, part of the reason why you can't detect fingers on there is, is you know, the resolution. A finger, um, if, you're standing, if you're standing far enough away from the connect, about maybe five feet, so it can see from your head to maybe uh, your shins in that range, your fingers are about seven pixels across, or maybe maybe a little less, maybe five pixels across. So it's pretty small, the range that you're talking about. 
The other thing is, 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 is based on what I've read about what the Kinect does, is they, they're, they're using heuristics. So if they don't see your hand and your arm in view, uh, they, they make assumptions about where it is, like, for example, behind your back, right, based on where it was before its velocity, and, and then all of a sudden it's gone. And they, they, and, they, and they use their knowledge of the skeletal system to, 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 to come up with a, a pretty good guess in terms of where it is. But to, to extend that and have that work with fingers is just an added level of complexity. And I think that they, you know, ultimately they were like, you know, you know this is, this is going to be what we need for most games. Well, I think it's also getting away from the 10-foot experience into the 3-foot experience, that if you're going to put this as part of a monitor, you need a different set of controls focused at a different range. Yeah, you need. Uh, yeah, the, it's when you say a different set of controls. I think I think you're saying you need a you need a different kind of connect is what you're saying. I think right. So that that can yeah. that can give you a good picture from like you know a few inches to you know three or four feet. You, you know, from my perspective, Richard, I think that you know this is it's it's only a matter of time is what it kind of feels like to me. Um, the uh, uh, there's so much that you could read. Uh, and, and build into a computer with this kind of information, everything from the mood and expression of the, of the user to actually recognizing the user, you know, from a security standpoint. Um, and then I, you know, my mind goes from there to, you know, uh, uh, another problem that Seth and I argued about, which is the elevator problem. My argument goes something like this. Uh, you know, Seth, the software that's currently driving elevators is, seems so inefficient to me. It could be so much better in, in terms of, of, of uh, so much more efficient. I could spend so much less time waiting for elevators and getting to my right de- destination. And Seth's uh, response to that is, uh, Mark, the elevator problem's already been solved. You know, it's essentially <laughs> the shortest path, and it's already been solved. That's what, therefore, it's no, I think what I was trying to say was that it's going to be uninteresting because there's already algorithmic approaches to solve that, right? Because in its essence, it, it can be reduced to a different problem. I, when, I was, when I was in school in advanced algorithms, there was a problem that I re, I, you could directly reduce that, and that's the UPS man, right? The UPS man has to pick up a series of packages along a route, for example. What is the optimal route to follow? It's, it's the same kind of thing for the elevator. I didn't say it's been, quote, solved. I'm saying the essence of the problem or the algorithm it's, it's already out there, so it's uninteresting in that regard. And so this is where we, we kind of had this. Because, for example, a lot of the stuff we're doing has already been done before as far as uh, computer vision, right? But the way we're aggregating it has never been done, and that's very interesting right. to me. All right, so now let's say we take that elevator, and in the lobby we put a connect. And uh, as Seth is down there, and he's sees an elevator door that's about to close, so he starts running. <laughs> and the Kinect picks up and sees Seth and says, oh, well, my button on this elevator has already been hit for eight. Seth is coming, and I know he wants to go to the eighth floor, so I'm going to open up the door for him and say, Seth, relax, just walk right on in so you don't have to run to go hit the button. And Seth but it has to do it like in that voice, Kinect. right? And thanks, Mark, for making the elevator software so much more efficient. You <laughs> should do that, that for subways and taxis, too. That would be awesome. I, I, there is an algorithm already out there. In fact, the problem is MP-complete, if you look at it, and there is an approximation algorithm already out there to solve that. Speaking of ranges, because Richard was talking about ranges, I want to outfit stoplights with connects that can go a much larger range, see cars coming from a distance. I mean, how many times do you spend a day sitting at a stoplight that's red while nobody else is going across the intersection? Well, they have that already, don't they? Oh, this is so entertaining. 
They, they <laughs> end up. No, yeah. no seriously. The world will like, be moving it, faster. No, no here, look, here's a trick for you folks out there. If you are in an updated city and you drive up to a stoplight and you flash your brights, the light will turn. No. And here's why. Because those things are programmed to detect, wait for it, police cars. Whoa. And it's already been done. Wow, that is a great tip, man. <laughs> well, don't, I didn't say it. I just, I'm, I'm guessing. I, I don't know if my city got the update or not. I'm not sure what version my city's on, but I'm going to give that a shot. Yeah, this that. is so entertaining because Mark's like, hey, I got this great idea. Let's put popcorn in a frying pan with butter, put some tinfoil <laughs> over it, and, and we'll, we'll have this stuff that it's like light and fluffy, and you can put salt on it. That'd be awesome. That does sound awesome, actually. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm actually hungry now. Holy cow. I, Me too. Wow. I, I think he just invited us to a movie, Mark. Did you hear that? I, I'm, I'll go. I have not, I've not seen the latest at I Am Number 4 yet. I want to see that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I guess we still got to get to the question of, is it actually a good idea to type in midair? Well, here, here's a question. Say, say, for example, you have a person that, that uh, here's an example, someone that cannot type, right? It, there's there's got to be people like that. Me. You're yeah. talking crazy talk now, Mr. Suarez. Yeah, no, That's just crazy talk. No, seriously, like, <laughs> you, can have, you can have a prosthetic, right, for example, that does not allow you to type, right? But in our particular keyboarding system, you will be able to. It's like maybe okay. I had chopsticks as hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, or like a thing. hook, like Captain Hook, has been maligned for his entire existence, and I think it's because he hasn't been able to join Facebook so that people can know who he really is. <laughs> okay. With our keyboard system, he will be able to finally make some friends. Oh. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. You don't know what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, so typing, typing in midair is one of, the, one of the challenges, right? How do, you type, how do you type when there's no tactile feedback? So, so right? tell me what, um, tell me what you guys have on the web in terms of either code we can run or videos that we can watch, or uh, or that kind of thing. Well, we don't have any videos, but we can make one right now for you, Carl, if you want to see it. Okay. Okay. And is this something that you can uh, uh, record as you're showing it to us and and share it with our listeners? Um, we can do that, Seth. I can record it on my machine if you want to do that. Sure. Okay. All right, so uh, I, I see this, and you're recording this as a video, right? I am. I'm recording it right now as video. All right, so we'll have a link to it on the show. So what are we looking at here? Um, well, we're inside Visual Studio now, and we have one of our tool windows up called the Connect Viewer. And the Connect Viewer is showing you Seth's hands. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the big pink circles are the palms of his hands, and the dots are the fingers that are extended. So really all I'm seeing is a, is a pink, two pink circles and two blue dots above that. So Right. So, the, so in fact, what he's, the, the blue dot is showing you the, the, the finger that's extended the most. So his fingertip, um, are, is that what it is, the point exactly, of his fingertip? Exactly, yeah. So one finger's out more than any of the others. Yes. Um, we, we know where the other fingers are, but we're right now looking at the most, the extended tip. Um, okay. So go ahead, Seth, can you bring up the, uh, the, the keyboard interface now? I think he's got to step away. He's probably stepping away now. Yeah. And what happens is you're seeing the hands get the other parts of the background image there because it's trying to figure out where the hands are. Now Seth is back in again, and now this is what the keyboard looks like okay, uh, so for entering, entering the text. So describe this. Okay, so what we have is we have, we have rings, concentric rings, 
And as Seth moves his hands forward and back, right, wait a minute. We need more description than concentric rings. We're we're looking. Okay, I'll at give you more than that. Okay, so we have concentric rings, and in each ring, two there's, of them, uh, right? a, a letter. Uh, and they're divided uh, into two rings, one for the left hand and one for the right hand. Yes. Because concentric rings are controlled by the depth. As Seth moves forward and backwards, um, the selected ring will change, and as he moves his finger uh, around uh, the... Uh, uh, the uh, Although I'm seeing right now, it looks like, Seth, we're not seeing any motion on this. I'm not sure if this is a performance issue on because we're doing, like, go-to-meeting at the same time and recording. Probably. Do you think that might be it? Yeah, well, I need, to, I need to tell you also, as you're looking at this, uh, this thing is actually, we have two machines running at the same time. One of them is doing all of, the, all of the image processing, and then another one is sort of accepting callbacks through a uh, TCP WCF pipe that pushes information out. And so uh, one of the things is that it, 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 it's obviously kind of raw right now, the, the way the keyboard works, it's a radial keyboard in the sense that you can control depth by pushing hands forward, mm. pulling hands back, mm. and with your finger, you can move sort of the selector in and out. And I, and I think that's kind, of the, it's kind of the most interesting thing I've seen, right? Yeah. And I didn't invent this, obviously. It was, it was Mark who came up with this, and when I looked at it, I thought... Good grief, Miller. Yeah, that's... It's a wonder you have such a big head. <laughs> that's brilliant, actually. So the cool thing is, so like, for example, on the inside, you've got, on this tiniest ring, you've got the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 mm. on the left hand, and on the right hand, you have 6, 7, 8, 9, and 0. And so if you want that tiny ring, you push your hand deep forward, right? And then you move your finger out to point to the one, the actual digit you want to get to. Um, that was all working like you know a few minutes ago, and it was. It's, I just noticed when Seth was doing it, it looked like it was not. So maybe there's, maybe we just broke something in the last minute. Typical, right? But we'll we'll get another video of this out that'll show this if this uh, okay. to, to uh, accompany this. If, and at least some does. screenshots of that of that interface because that's really really cool, Mark. Yeah, we can do that. Well, yeah. So we've got that. This whole thing, Carl, is designed to be super cool, right? When you put your hand up to actually, you know, slide and scroll the screen, you're actually going to see like a shadow of your hand up there right over the code, and you'll be able to just move that right there to push the code away or to okay. scroll it to the place you want to go to. So the whole thing is designed to be very, very cool with so the way you interact with it. Do you have a, a date in mind? Are you going to try to get this going for Dev Connections? Or? Exactly, yeah. Dev Connections Orlando is where we expect to unveil this and show this to everyone. Wow, awesome. Is there any last-minute things you want to uh, mention before we sign off? Um, I'm, I'm good. I just you know, want to remind everybody that the halting problem has been solved. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Miller, you're killing me. <laughs> Seriously, how can you talk it, to this man? worried about that. I solved it. Supernova, all machines stop. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks very much. This is amazing. And all good right, luck Carl. with it. Well, Thanks, thank guys. We'll talk to you later. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. 
online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a dog